Welcome to the Trek Convention Podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, we'll be discussing our favorite Trek headlines, shining a spotlight on the latest Star Trek series, and discussing everything we know and love from the Star Trek universe. All, of course, from a fan's point of view. And in this episode of the Trek Convention Podcast, we'll be discussing the latest Las Vegas convention updates, the pros and cons of replicators, and what it's like when Captain Kirk has a really bad day. All this and more on the Trek Convention Podcast. Hey, Jenna, how are you? I'm good, Bill. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a warm day. It's sunny here in Southern California. So uh, It's sunny here in Northern California, too. Really? It's like we're yep. both in the same state or something. Uh, any plans for the long weekend? This is Memorial Day weekend when we're recording this, by the way. Uh, I've gone out to breakfast, and I'm going to see a movie and doing things that make me feel like a normal person again. Wow. Yeah. I uh, I had drinks out and dinner out last weekend. Uh, I might head to IHOP. That's where my, my level is set. That's my level of enthusiasm is the International House of Pancakes. So clearly I'm a health nut when it comes to that sort of thing. But, uh, well, let's get started. Convention Corner. Convention Corner. Convention Corner. Convention Corner. So speaking of conventions, and I think we were, uh, the Las Vegas convention is coming up in 72 days, which is very, very soon. Um. And I'm still, like I say, every time we do these, I'm really looking forward to it. It feels like it's been way too long. I start looking forward to the next one, like in January of uh, after the after the previous one. So it doesn't take very long for me to start looking forward to the, to the next one. In this case, it's been a really long time waiting for this convention. That's 72 days. That's not bad. Yeah, Jen- that's exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. I know you think I'm silly, but it is. There are up to 115 guests now at the convention. So um, the most recent one. James Dewan's son, right? Uh, yes, James Dewan's son. Uh, Chris. Chris Dewan. I'm hoping we're pronouncing his last name right. It's not Doohan, it's Dewan. Uh, but yeah, he's the son of... Uh, of um... Scotty. Yes, he's the son of Scotty. And interestingly, I didn't realize this, and I'm sure the real heavy... Trivia Trek folks knew this already, which was in the film uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, he played a transporter officer, which seems eminently appropriate for the son of of, uh, of Scotty, as he was uh, the engineer and was introduced to us as being a transporter uh, engineer for uh, for a lot of the first uh, the first TOS era. I'm not sure what he's going to talk about or if he's going to be on. They haven't set up the panels yet. That always is like days before, just just days before the uh, the convention begins. They finally get the uh, the the set schedule put together, which I can imagine is a is a logistical nightmare. And then having it printed, um, so we don't know when he'll appear on stage or if he'll appear on stage. But apparently, he's going to be in the vendor room um friday and saturday which would be exciting to to see him there is somebody else you keep running into at conventions who looks just like james Dewan uh in in the latter yes, years i have a picture with that guy yeah. yes he has the mustache and he does look he looks exactly like him he really does i mean it's it's one of those you know it can't be him because obviously the actor has died uh but there's always that like wait a minute i know that guy um of course now i can just say oh i know that guy he's jenna's good friend 
<laughs> I have one picture with him. I that's, would say he's my good friend. That's all it takes at a Star Trek convention. You've now you have a friend for life. Um, and he's got a great uh, uniform. The costume put together is is, is great, and his uh, his height and weight and hair color and everything is just perfect. Yeah, so he's got a he he fits the he fits the bill perfectly. I hope, and I don't know if I don't. I never go to the uh, the costume contest, but I hope that he's won something at some point over the years because he he really is the spitting image of of the character, and that's got to be that's got to be worth an honorable mention at a costume competition. And as we are, I think we mentioned this uh, last time, is they're back at the Rio with a really, really, really long hallway that leads from the lobby back to the convention center in the very back of the of the building. Um, it is a really long walk, especially when you're running late for like a, a early morning uh, panel. It always seems to get longer and longer. And then you take the turn, and, and then there's more of it. So it's um, it's just part of the, the charm. Um, it's the one thing that I always remember is how long it takes to get down that hallway because I never quite give myself enough time, which is why I'm always running late. Who else is on the <laughs> list besides um, besides James Dewan's son? Uh, more more recently, oh, there's a woman whose first name I can't pronounce, but I'm going to try it anyway. Ursuline Bryant, um, and she is actually played the captain. She played Captain again. Another name I can't pronounce. T R Y L A Trela Trela Scott from the Next Generation. Um, she looks vaguely familiar. Um, as a, as a captain of another starship. And then somebody else they've added recently has been um, uh, Leslie Hoffman, who is the stunt double for uh, Torres in, uh, in, in Voyager. So that's interesting. There's a couple of folks that you uh, come to this that are, that are stunt, stunt people, which always kind of hear, interesting to hear from their point of view because they are only on set for a couple days out of the, out of the shoot um, and there's one gentleman who talks about like, he's like, whenever I show up, people are always in a, like a really excited mood. Cause they know, they know we're doing a stunt today and there's going to be some action on the set. There's gonna be some extra, extra work to do. And they, they always get very excited. Uh, but they're only there for a couple of days at a time. Um, there's also a Darren Docker, Dockerman, Dockerman, um, who runs a podcast and, uh, yeah. And, uh, Brandon Braga will be there. He's been coming for the last few years. But uh, and we have a friend, a, a former coworker that uh, went to school with him back in the day. So it's an interesting uh, cast of characters. We're up to 115. I, I'm not sure how many more people they can get, but I'm sure they'll try right up until the very end. They've got 75 days to bring in more people. I don't know what the record is for the number of uh, celebrities and, and headliners they've had at the uh, the convention. I feel like in the 50th they had like 130, but I might be making that up. Uh, for the 50th anniversary. But like I say, I might be making that up. If somebody knows, feel free to uh, to send me a note. Anyway, what's next? Trek history. Trek history. Trek history. Trek history. There was an article on uh, Looper talking about what it would be like to eat on the Enterprise in the future, given that uh, replicators rule the world or the universe. Um, and there were some interesting points in there. The one that struck me, because I love junk food, is that even junk food would be good for you, because it wouldn't necessarily the replicator wouldn't make food that was harmful. So, as someone who could 
spend the rest of my days eating red velvet cake. Um, that really was something I thought would be fun. Is there something you would, uh, you would indulge in knowing that, uh, it wasn't bad for you? I don't know. Candy. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared to get that question. Well, I, I eat pizza every week and I, I tell myself that's my guilty pleasure, but I guess it would just make me feel better about, it wouldn't make me eat more pizza. Okay. It would just make me feel better about eating pizza. Okay. That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we eat on a regular basis that, uh, that is, um, probably not ideal, but it'd be nice to know that that was, that was off the, off the, off the menu as it were, as far as like being bad for you. Um, there would be food because of course you could get food from, from any, any planet, uh, People are immediately drawn to cling on food because a lot of it, most actually, I think it's all alive. I think that's uh, that's one of the one of the prerequisites is their food is is either freshly de- dead or still alive, like gawk. Uh, but I'm not sure I could eat anything live. I'm not even sure about some foods um, that I would want to eat on their their menu as it is. So, and, and one of the things we found about Vulcan food from uh, T'Pol and, and Enterprise is it's not, uh, it's a little on the bland side. It's not terribly interesting. Uh, I think she was uh, eating, you know, breadsticks and salad and plumac soup, which is uh, a little light on the, on, the, on the spices. I'm not sure I'd be very interested in, in that. But maybe if you're not feeling well, rather than uh, saltines and ginger ale, you'd have, uh, have Vulcan soup. I think the most interesting aspect of that article is the the fact that you could have whatever kind of food that you wanted and if you were a foodie it would be like the ultimate paradise although although we're kind of to that point now where pretty much anything you want can be ordered and brought to your door you know by like DoorDash and Grubhub and that sort of thing but this would be even broader like anything you could imagine you could have made for you right on the spot yeah and I think the the instantaneousness of it if that's a word would be would be attractive, the fact that you could have, and and it wouldn't necessarily be wasteful if you ordered, you know, a Vulcan dish and then sort of decided, you know, this isn't really what I want. You can stick it back in the replicator. It you haven't wasted any food. It just turns back into the material it was before it was food, and you can order something else. And uh, one of the things that the article points out is that there's like with a lot of things that get um, very automated. Um, people kind of don't do the manual version. So like cooking might be something that people don't just don't do very often and aren't very good at. Um, and of course, Catherine, Captain Janeway was uh, notoriously bad, uh, although she would insist it was the, the, the replicator and, and not her skills. But most of the things that she tried to make were, uh, were problematic. Um, she didn't cook well. That was the, that was the, the takeaway. But on the other hand, like the Benjamin Sisko, as he points out, all the Cisco men know how to cook. So that, you know, his father had a restaurant and he made you know, Creole and he was constantly, constantly cooking. So I think you'd have to really be, you know, passionate or excited about cooking to, to, to take it on, given how simple it would be to not cook. So in a world of replicators, would, would you cook more or less? Would I cook? I mean, I would get the replicator to cook for me. Um, okay. I would cook myself. No. Um, oh, okay. But I would I would do a lot more like Asian food and and Thai food um, because I cooking that's not the the type of food that I was brought up cooking so my cooking repertoire is limited in that area okay. so if I could create whatever food I wanted I would I would do more you know uh, 
Asian food or even Russian food or things like that that were more adventurous. Right. Um, that I'm just not used to cooking. Okay. That makes sense. So it would, uh, would you expand that even to like other planets, other cultures, like maybe not Klingon, but, but you know, Bajoran sure. or, yeah. Okay. If you had the opportunity and the, and the recipes were there, why not? Okay. Yeah. It would be fun. You could have a, a themed eating day instead of, uh, you know, chili sloppy Joe Fridays or something. You'd have, uh, you'd have, you know, plumbing soup or gawk for the whole family. Great. All right. What's next? Track Rewind. Track Rewind. Track Rewind. Well, there was an interesting article on Screen Rant that I ran across that had the top 10 worst things that ever happened to Captain Kirk. What I found was interesting is that number one was dying. I would think that would be a pretty bad thing to have happen to you, to die. But um, he was uh, he was trying to stop Dr. Soren from, from killing the rest of us. What was number nine? Um... <laughs> William Shatner writing about Captain Kirk in some, they, they invited him to, um, he's always written tech war books. He came up with that idea like after Star Trek was over, but they've, uh, he's been invited to write, um, Star Trek books on the, the topic. Um, so he resurrected Captain Kirk through some sort of uh, strange Romulan technology. And now he, um, he, he, his character just continually saves the universe in these books, which the author of the article had said was one of the one of the worst things that happened to Captain Kirk. Is now it's just sort of a, a trope of like something happens. Oh, Kirk saves the day. Um, which I think the the article said those those novels were basically fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, they read like like fan fiction. Which I mean, you know, he's he's a fan. He was in the in the, in the series, but um, but they're not, you know. Not apparently they're not very sophisticated. I haven't read any of them. I've read very very few of the uh, of the novels, so I can't I can't really be a critic. Um, but according to the uh, the article, they're not they're not great. Um, I always thought that the City on the Edge of Forever episode where he loses Edith Keeler, I thought was one of the more dramatic, uh, impactful like character. Um, dramatic. And that's number six on their list, right? Yeah. Uh, and I always use that as a as a as a sort of a, a reason why um, episodic television has some weaknesses versus serialized. Because you know, at the end of that episode, he's lost the love of his life. They've, it's it's a it's a wrenching uh, episode for the character to the point where he's he's even when he comes back to quote unquote normal time, he's just like let's get the hell out of here. Which I mean, he's just he's curtained. He's 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 upset. Uh, and yet, next week he's having another adventure, where in a serialized uh, program you would uh, you'd see that impact carry forward, like we did with uh, Discovery, and they're moving you know nine hundred years in the future. And I think we talked about that at one point where people are starting to. There was a few episodes where people were grappling with that and what that means at the time. It was the thing to do, and we did it, and we're done. Uh, and then there's the reality of living nine hundred years from everything you know and everyone you've ever met and and loved and. Uh, been family with, um, and I always thought that particular episode was uh, was particularly uh, impactful. But, Why uh, don't you give an overview of the episode for anybody who doesn't know what you're talking about? Well, I'll give it a shot. The episode is called "The City on the Edge of Forever." It's from season one. It's episode twenty-eight, actually, 
And in this story, the crew of the Enterprise is investigating an uncharted planet that's exhibiting some extreme temporal fluctuations. When the landing party explore the planet, they find an enormous gate that turns out to be a sentient device that identifies itself as the Guardian of Forever and is a gateway to all times. It's at this point that Dr. McCoy, who's been given an overdose of cortisone during a mishap in a medical treatment, jumps through the gate and disappears into 1930s New York City. While there, he apparently changes something that inexorably alters the timeline, erasing the Enterprise from history and quite possibly Starfleet and quite possibly all of Earth. So at this point... Kirk and Spock follow after him, planning to arrive before he changes anything, and thereby fixing time. They, too, arrive in 1930s New York City. They run across this altruistic young woman named Edith Keeler, played by Joan Collins, who, of course, Kirk falls in love with. Who wouldn't? Uh, And it turns out she is the nexus of this temporal change. It seems McCoy has saved her life, and by saving her life, she lives on to become a voice of peace and pacifism, that eventually changes the course of history by delaying the U.S. in joining the war effort, thereby allowing Nazi Germany to win the Second World War. It's at this point they decide Edith Keeler must die. So when the time comes, Kirk, even more in love with her at this point, keeps McCoy from saving her life, and she's struck by a passing delivery truck. Very emotional for, uh, for the character and, and for the people watching, I would hope. But, um, yeah, so, and of course, the Guardian of Forever is an amazing character, and I love the fact that they brought him back in, uh, or brought it back in uh, in Discovery. So there's a lot of opportunity there. But, um, and of course, death has been something that followed Kirk around. I think it's, you know, he's tricked death, I think is one of the things he says in Wrath of Khan. But he, he loses Spock in Wrath of Khan. He loses his son in one of the films. Um so yeah, he's uh, he's had a lot of bad days, but uh, he even lost uh, you know Scotty's nephew in uh, in Rathacon. wasn't a very upbeat film as it turns out. <laughs> Big body count in Rathacon. but yeah, and of course the Enterprise. Everybody loses the Enterprise. I feel like that's the co- I feel like that's table stakes. Sooner or later, every captain will lose the Enterprise. Kirk has lost it. Um, Jean-Luc Picard lost the Enterprise. Everybody loses. And, you know, uh, Cisco lost Defiant. Everybody loses. Who's got a ship, they lose it. That's always a, a thing that ends up happening. But Kirk lost uh, lost his ship as well. It's not easy being Captain Kirk. No, it's not. Somebody's got to do it. That's why we love him. Yeah, somebody's got to do it, though. So what's next? Well, that's all I have this uh, episode of the Trek Convention podcast. Uh, any any exciting plans for you? No, no not really. Okay. Just enjoying my weekend. Yeah, nice long weekend. Spending some time outside. Uh, whether For those of you going to the convention, let us know and um, what your exciting plans are. Uh, and that's it for this episode of the Trek Convention podcast. And uh, please join us again next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Are you tired of just listening to the topics on the Trek Convention podcast? Would you rather read the full articles and add your own comments? Of course you would. 
you're a Trek fan. Be sure to look us up on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as Trek Convention. And on Instagram as TRKCON. The Trek Convention Podcast is brought to you in part by .comsagogo. .comsagogo is your one-stop shop for domains, domain hosting, branded email, and more. No matter where you are in the galaxy, make sure everyone can find you with your own unique domain. .comsagogo. Connecting you to the universe and helping you. Go boldly. Go to trekconvention.com sponsor for rates and deals.